But let's look at Genesis chapter 15, verse 7 through 21. And we're going to talk this morning about blessed assurance. Now, over the past 29 years of ministry in various ways, one or the other, I've talked to a lot of people who struggle, struggle with the matter of the assurance of their salvation. How can I know that I really have a relationship with God? And I think if all of us were to be totally honest at some point or another, we've asked that question ourselves. How can I know for sure that I have a relationship with God? Now, many times these doubts arise in our life because we're putting more emphasis on our feelings or even our own performance than we are emphasizing the promises of God. And that's what I want us to do this morning is go to the word and see how God reassures Abram and how we can see from those very reassurances that God is speaking to us as well. And he offers us the same assurance in our life. When I was in school here at the university, I attended Emmanuel Baptist Church. And my pastor was Dr. Kenneth Houchin. And I'll know, that's Aaron Sherman's grandfather. Uh, but Dr. Houchin used to say there are two great days in the life of a believer. Two great days. One, the day you're saved. And the second is the day you know you're saved. And those days are not always the same day. Now, some, it's a very dramatic testimony, and you know exactly what happened when. But for others, there's some cloudy areas there, maybe some areas where doubt would creep in. But we want to look this morning at blessed assurance. See, when we have assurance with God, then we know that we're loved unconditionally. We know that we can serve without hesitation. It brings freedom into our walk as a believer. It brings blessed assurance into every area of our life. So, Let's look at the assurances. But one thing I want you to know as we go is that assurance rests on God's sure promise and not our shaky performance. Okay? Assurance rests on God's sure promise and not our shaky performance. Chapter 15, verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it. How can I be sure of your promise? Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning that we can gather and study your word and freedom today. Thank you for our great nation. Father, we pray for the leaders of our country. We pray, God, for your blessings to continue on this land. Lord, bless your church today all across the world as it gathers in your name, particularly here in our region of the country. Father, we pray for pastors who are preaching your word today. Other churches here in this association, this city, bless the preaching of your word today, we pray. Father, bless our hearts. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may behold wonderful things from your word. God, speak to our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Abram, and I'm still calling him Abram because that's his name. He made his great profession of faith in verse 6. Abram believed God. Look at that, verse 6. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now, specifically, God had taken Abram outside the tent, showed him the stars and said, your descendants will be as numerous as these stars. I mean, that's pretty powerful. It's pretty awesome. And the Bible says Abram believed God. And so Abram believed God in regards to his descendants, to his ancestors. But now God says, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a place. And if we'll see a little later on, we, we, Brother Colby read about that place that Abram was looking for. 
that city that Abraham's looking for. We're thinking today in terms of possessions of land. And so Abram says, you know, how can I know? How can I know that you will give me? How can I have assurance that I will really possess this land? He says that in verse 8. So God, in verse 7, gives him his first source of assurance. He simply reminds Abram of who he is. I am the one. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Here we see the evidence of God's power. Now think with me just a moment. As I think about my life, how can I see how God has worked in my life? This this statement is, is a great statement. This is the exact same thing that God said to Moses right before he gave the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20 verse 2. God says to Moses, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So God is encouraging Abram, just like he encouraged Moses, to look back at his life and to see how the Lord had brought him to this place. Now this is kind of a a prelude to the Ten Commandments. This is a prelude to a great covenant. And God is setting himself up. He's saying, look, I am the one who's doing this. I am the one who initiated this relationship. I am the one who personally brought you to this point where you are today. I am the Lord God. It's a reminder of God's faithfulness. But church, let me remind you, it's a reminder of God's power to deliver. Power to deliver. Now, there are probably a lot of people in this sanctuary today that 10 years ago you would have thought I'd never be in church. I remember going back and preaching a revival at my home church. And one of my running buddies in high school said, I never thought you'd be a preacher. I looked at him and said, I never thought I'd see you in church either. I mean, you know, it goes both ways, doesn't it? But you think about it. I am the Lord God who brought you here. Now, some of you who may be struggling with uh, your assurance of your salvation or doubting God's word, God, doubting God's power. Look where you are today. Look where you are today. Think about what God has done in your life. That's what God is telling Abram. I brought you here. I'm the one that started this. And here's the key. I will finish it. I will complete my work. Paul told the church at Philippi that he who began the good work in you will complete it until the day of salvation. God has the power to deliver. God has the power to change. Paul used this strategy to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. He tells the church at Corinth, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul goes on to say, Such were some of you, but you were washed But you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the spirit of our God. Church, that's who we are. We're a bunch of folks who used to be enslaved to sin. But by the power of God, we have been delivered. We've been brought into a right relationship with God. We we know what it's like to be separated from God. We know what it's like to live, as Kimberly described, in hopelessness. We know what it's like 
to, without, to be without hope in life and carry the guilt of, and burden of our sin. But God has delivered us. God is the one who has brought us to this point. Don't ever forget that. Assurance comes as we look back and, at where the Lord has brought us from. He is a God who delivers. Now, let me tell you, there's a danger to look back, looking back too much. You know, we don't need to go back and build a house on that street. But we need to remember where we used to be. How we used to be and how we have been delivered by God's grace to where we are today. Our assurance of our salvation doesn't depend on our shaky performance, but rather on God's sure promises. The Lord has delivered you if you're a believer today. And let me tell you, if you're here today and you've never been delivered, you've never been never experienced the grace of God, the salvation of God, His power is available to you today to change your life. Such were some of you. Thank God that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. So remind us, God reminds us of His power. Secondly, we see the example of God's patience. I love this. I love this. Verses 8 through 11. Abram says, how can I know that I will possess it? You know what my dad would say? Because I told you so. <laughs> I had our three-year-old grandson, almost three-year-old grandson the other day. And after about 30 minutes, I said, okay, had no more questions. <laughs> no more questions. Where are we going? What are we going to do? Where, are we going? Where, where do you live? Where do I live? I said, okay, five minutes, no questions. He looked at me and said, Big Daddy grumpy? I said, yes, Big Daddy's grumpy. Big Daddy's grumpy. <laughs> Yeah, no more questions. Five minutes. Let's have some silence. And I see this with God. Abraham, I already told you it's going to be like the stars. I've already brought you out of this moon-worshiping background. I've already changed your life. I promise you an inheritance. But how can I know? So God patiently gives him another object lesson. So verse 9, he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer. And a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him, and he cut them in two, and laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down with, upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. What do we have here? We have an ancient practice of cutting a covenant. Of establishing a covenant with someone. Now, God is about to establish a covenant with Abram. So he tells him, he prescribes what's to be done. <clears throat> and again, what God wants to do. Abram had been walking by sight. So God showed him the stars. Abram's walking by sight and by doubt again. So God shows him this process of cutting a covenant. So the Lord gives him a visual reminder of his faithfulness. So as the custom was, the bodies of the animals would be cut in two. And they'd be, both parts would be laid out there. And the two parties would walk through the animal parts, cutting a covenant. And this symbolizes as these animals have been cut in two, may it happen to me if I break this covenant. I will incur the same judgment if I break this covenant. So it's a very serious thing. It's a very serious commitment to cut a covenant with someone. But I want you to notice something very unusual about this covenant. Only one party, most of the time, both parties would walk through the covenant. The cutting of the covenant. But in this situation, only one party passes through the animals. Look at verse 17. <clears throat> and it came about when the sun had set, 
that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. God made a covenant with Abram. Abram needed assurance. And so God gave him a visual reminder of his promise of faithfulness. Now, church, in just a few moments, we're going to come to the Lord's table, which is a visual reminder of the covenant that Jesus has entered into with us. On that night, the scripture says he took the cup and he said, this is the covenant, the new covenant of my blood. And his blood is the sign of the covenant that we have entered into with Christ. Our salvation covenant, a covenant of grace. Christ is the one who paid the price. Christ is the one who bore our sins in his body. Who paid, who, the wrath of God was poured out upon him. And he's established a new covenant with us. And we have now a visual reminder of the grace of God. We are sealed. He sealed the covenant with Christ's blood. And our part, as Abram's part, was to see and believe. To see and believe. When Christ died on the cross, he declared, it is finished. The work of redemption was complete. His blood sealed the covenant for us. There's nothing we can add to it. There's nothing we can take away from it. Our responsibility is to believe. Our assurance doesn't depend on our shaky performance, but on God's sure promises. Then secondly, or thirdly, we see the fulfillment of God's purposes. Look at verse 12. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you... You shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. One of the greatest sources of assurance for us is the fact that God will accomplish His purposes. And He's batting 100%, folks. 100%. What God does for here. Abram is saying, you know, I, I got some doubts. Are you, can you really give me this land? God says, I can give you the land. I can tell you even more in detail exactly what's going to happen. I can tell you what's going to happen 430 years from now. For 400 years, your descendants are going to go to Egypt. They're going to serve at cruel taskmasters. Then I'm going to send a man named Moses. I love that in Exodus 3, God says, I have come down to deliver. Come here, Moses. <laughs> Anytime God works, he uses a man or a woman. He uses his people. But God delivered them, led them out back to the promised land. And so God tells Abram, yeah, I'm going to give you this land, but it's not going to be easy. But here's the whole story. And we know exactly how it worked out. But before we get into that, look at verse 12. This is interesting. Terror and great darkness fell upon him. This was kind of a supernatural nightmare. In a sense, it was a sense of dark gloom that fell upon Abram. 
That's interesting. If you look in Exodus chapter 19 and 20, there's so many parallels between God's covenant with Abraham and God's covenant with Moses. When God made a covenant with Moses in Exodus chapter 19, we see now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. Hey, we serve an awesome God. He's a powerful God. He's not some gray-haired, grandfather, bearded guy up in heaven saying boys will be boys. It's all right. He is a powerful God. His presence is an awesome presence. When his presence was revealed at Mount Sinai, the mountains shook. He was about to redeem, issue a a covenant with with Moses, the Mosaic law. Do you remember what happened on the afternoon of the crucifixion? Do you remember as Jesus died, what happened? The earth became dark. And they said there was a great earthquake. The earth began to shake. God was judging sin. God's judgment of sin is always profound. It's not, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God when you're a sinner, when you're a sinner condemned. And here we see the awesomeness of God. He revealed himself. I love what, um, anyway, this is a reminder of who he is and who we're dealing with. He is a holy, powerful, awesome God. God tells Abram what's going to happen in the future. God tells him exactly how this is going to come about. But he does it in such a profound way, a powerful way. That's who our God is. Verse 13 to 16, God tells Abram what's going to happen. We talked about that. The Egyptians are in bondage. The Israelis were in bondage, in Egyptian bondage for 430 years. He reveals what's going to happen, how he's going to deliver them. We know that this was fulfilled exactly as the Lord said. And he also gave Abraham a good word of encouragement. Look at verse 15. All this is going to happen, but you'll never see it. You're going to die at a good old age. You'll go to your fathers in peace. You'll be buried at a good old age. You know, again, there we see our first glimpse or picture of of life after death. That you're going to be gathered to your fathers. So, verse 16. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here. I'm going to bring them back. But notice what he says. For the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Who's the Amorite? Well, we see that in verse 19. As God begins to describe the inhabitants of the promised land. The Kenite, the Kenizzite, the Cadmonite, the Hittite, and Perizzite, the Mosquitobite, the all those... All these people are going to be living here. And when Joshua takes over for Moses, as we see in the book of Joshua, when, you, when they go into the promised land, there are a lot of battles to be fought. This was not going to be easy. But notice what God is doing here in verse 16. He said, it's going to take 400 years for the wickedness of the Amorite to be fulfilled. That's interesting, isn't it? He tells the same thing to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 9. Look at this, 9.5. He says, It is not for your righteousness or for the uprightness of your heart that you're going to possess the land. In other words, God said, I'm not going to give you this just because you're such good guys. 
But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you in order to confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What does that mean for us? Very simply, God's got a lot going on. (laughs) That the good, God's watching over the righteous, but God's watching over the evil. God's watching over the wicked. And the wicked will not always prosper. We may look and say, well, why did the wicked prosper? Why did, why didn't God just judge these people? Why didn't God just come down and strike James and John? Lord, send thunder on, you know, lightning, take them out, fire from heaven. God says, no, it's all happening in my timing. Now, I learned a long time ago, like my friend Dwight says, God doesn't always run his track on my, tra- run his train on my track. He doesn't always run his train on my track, but it's always on schedule. It's always on schedule. God is telling Abram, 430 years before it's happened, I'm going to bring my people back, but the Amorites are become, going to become so wicked that I will destroy them. Again, we see the awesomeness of our God. God is watching over the righteous, and God has a timetable for the wicked. And what do we do? We trust, not in our shaky performance, but in the sure promises of God. He is an awesome God. Third, fourthly, we see the glory of God's presence in verse 17. And it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. A smoking oven, a dark, smoking, eerie presence and a flaming torch passing through the pieces. It was the presence of God. God revealing himself to Abram. God establishing another visual reminder with his man. You've seen the stars. That's what your descendants are going to look like. You see this, this covenant. I'm cutting a covenant with you. I am a faithful God. And I alone am passing through these parts, so that you will know I will accomplish what I said I will accomplish. It's the glory of the presence of God. It's interesting that the cloud or smoke and the pillar of fire, does that sound familiar? When God revealed himself to Moses, it was in a burning bush. When God revealed himself to the Israelites, it was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. This was how he led them through the wilderness. What is God really like? (laughs) What is God really like? Alexander McLaren says, God can never be completely known, yet he is never completely hidden. See, we will never know everything about God. If we did, we would be God. But what we do know about God is what he has chosen to reveal to us about himself. And this revelation here is so instructive. We're reminded of the nature of God. To those who know God and love God, He is a welcomed light, a bright torch. To those who reject God and do not obey God, He is a dark, ominous presence. For those of us who know God, God is a source of joy and life. To those who don't know God, He is a source of the certainty of judgment and death. 
The one and the same. John said, he who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already. Do you see the great dichotomy of God? The light and the darkness, the joy and the judgment. Jesus told the parable of the faithful servant who multiplied the talents and said the reward was enter into the joy of your master. But do you remember what he said to the unfaithful servant, the one who buried his talent? He said, why did you bury it? Because I knew you to be a hard taskmaster. I knew you to be a hard man. Two different perspectives. So he buried and he entered into the judgment of the master. One entered the judgment, the other entered into the joy because he had a relationship with the master. He knew the joy of the master. Church, I want you to know that God is the gospel. He is the reward. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Knowing God, Christ died for sin once for all, for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Knowing God, this is eternal life, that you may know him, have a relationship with him. Let me ask you, how do you know him today? In what perspective do you see God as the judge or your joy? As light or darkness? The presence, the glory of his presence. Then quickly, you've got to listen faster. The certainty of God's promises. Verses 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, To your descendants, I have given this land. From the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. We'll stop there. God says, I have already done it. Abram says, how will I know that I'll possess this land? Abram, is, is, how, are we going to, how am I going to know for sure? God says, it's a done deal, Abram. I have already given the land to you. God had already done it. Abram would become Abraham, the father of a great nation. His people would one day inhabit the promised land. God had promised. God had made it sure. The writer of Hebrews says that Abraham was looking for, looking for more than just the land between the rivers. We alluded to this earlier. This is what this promise is all about and why it's so significant for us. Hebrews 11.9 says, For Abraham was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Looking for the city. What city is that? Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. We come to the table in just a moment to remind us that Christ has purchased the bride for himself. He bore our sin in his body. He took the judgment of our sin upon himself. His blood offers forgiveness to all who believe in Him. And Jesus says now, whoever comes to me, I will not turn them away. Whoever comes to me, I will not turn them away. We have an opportunity to be a part of the stars that God promised Abram, your descendants. To be a part of the land that God had given to Abraham. That city That he was looking forward to. And Jesus says, I'm preparing a place for you and I will come again and receive you to to myself. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 26, 
As for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. He has promised he will come. Assurance rests on God's sure promise, not our shaky performance. Maybe today a source of your doubt has been your feelings, your emotions, rather than trusting in God's promises. Maybe today you'd be encouraged to look at your life to see what God has done in your life already. Thank God we're not what we used to be, but thank God we're not what we're going to be. God is transforming us from glory to glory into the image of His Son. But God has a plan for each one of us, a purpose that He has laid out for us in His Word right here. And that purpose is to spend eternity with Him in His presence, knowing Him, serving Him, rejoicing in His presence. And that's God's purpose for your life today. If you come to Christ, turn from your sin, give your heart to Christ, trust in the gospel, repent of your sin, believe that Christ died for your sin so that you can have a relationship with God. 